this evening's study of what Baptists believe as set forth in the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, the oldest confession we have in existence as belonging to the Baptists and being adopted by them in England in 1689. We come to chapter 14, the subject of saving faith. It has already been pointed out a number of times that what we have in this confession of faith is not the opinion of men, nor the writings of men, but a compilation of Holy Scripture in a systematic order for the presentation of Bible doctrine. So the Confession actually serves as a handbook to sum up for us in a systematic way the teachings of Holy Scripture on the major doctrines that we are supposed to believe and hold to as our foundation and heritage. I believe this evening we will read all three paragraphs of chapter 14 on the subject of saving faith, and then I will discuss the subject in general without making as many references to the confession itself. Uh, we have pretty well summed up the whole of the subject. We read the grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer and other means appointed of God, it is increased, now not given, but increased and strengthened. Paragraph 2, by this faith a Christian believeth to the truth, uh, uh, what, uh, truth or whatsoever is revealed in the Word for the authority of God himself, and also apprehendeth an excellency therein above all other writings and all things in the world, as it bears forth the glory of God in his attributes, the excellency of Christ in his nature and offices, and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operations, and so is enabled to cast his soul upon the truth thus believed and also acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come, showing the different ways in which faith responds to the truth revealed in the Word. But the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. This faith, although it be different in degrees and may be weak or strong, yet it is in the least degree of it different in the kind or nature of it 
from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. Therefore, though it may be many times assailed and weakened, yet it gets the victory growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. If you will turn to Second Timothy chapter 1, you have a definition of faith given by the Apostle Paul to this young minister. In verse 2 we read, or in verse 12, for the which cause, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Without faith there is no personal benefit from Christ and the work of redemption. In our study of these doctrines we have already had presented the subject of the authority of the scriptures upon which our faith rests, the subject of God and his nature and decrees, the subject of creation and of divine providence, as well as a treatment of the subject of God's covenant of grace against the background of man in a state of creation and his fall into sin. Now we have come to the subject of faith, which is the means by which we appropriate that salvation which has been wrought out for us by the Lord Jesus Christ as the mediator of the covenant of grace and as our surety who paid our sin debt in our stead. From the confession of faith we may note in the first place that there are various kinds of faith. In section 3 we read, and I emphasize, that no matter how little in degree the faith of a child of God is, it is different in its kind or nature from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. So this tells us that there is a common grace of temporary believers, a faith which is not saving, a faith that belongs to many that does not bring to a closing with the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. Let us note these kinds of faith. First of all, there is a faith of miracles. On one occasion, some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of our Lord's day, approached him and said, Show us a sign, and then we will believe. In other words, perform for us some kind of a miracle, and we will accept your testimony. The Lord Jesus said to those that approached him, No sign will be given to you in your unbelief other than that of the prophet Jonah, that as he was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. However, we know that there were multitudes of people that numbered into the literal thousands who followed 
the Lord Jesus Christ for no other reason than the miracles which he performed. For example, the day that he fed the 5,000 counted men with a, a few pieces of bread and fish, there were at least 15,000 persons in his company because children and women were never numbered in a census of any kind. As a result of this miracle, they followed the Lord Jesus Christ until they saw that he would not become their king and set up a temporal and visible kingdom over them and put them on a welfare program by which he would supply their bread and fish. We read that because of his teachings, many of these became offended at him who had believed in him on the account of the miracles, they turned back and followed him no longer. We have many people today of this very nature who will follow after any kind of teaching, after any kind of movement, after anything that is new as long as it fascinates the imagination and there is some kind of claim for unusual power on the part of the persons involved in the movement. As a result, men in their fake showmanship come along claiming to have unusual power from God to perform miracles and to heal the sick. As a result, they draw thousands of people to their hearing only to disappoint the majority uh, who see through this sham performance of religion. In the second place, there is what has been called through the ages an historical faith. However, I believe that it is better called a theoretic faith because our faith, saving faith, is an historical faith, a faith in an historical event or events concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, there are many persons who study the Word of God, who listen to the preaching of sermons and gain a great deal of knowledge and theory pertaining to the truth. But this truth is never received in faith in their hearts to the saving of the soul. It is only known doctrinally so that these persons may be very orthodox in what they believe, but nevertheless have no saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Into this category we may place the devil and all demons, for we are told by James that it is not something unusual for people to say that they believe, even the devils believe and tremble. There's no more orthodox group of, of beings anywhere in existence than demons if they told you what they actually knew to be the truth. Time and again in the New Testament scriptures we have the witness of these demons to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But no demon is ever saved by that which he believes. Then the confession speaks of that which is a temporary faith. This is the kind of faith that the stony ground hearers have as set forth in the Gospel of Luke. Turn, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. 
where we read in verse 13, they on the rock are they, that is, the seed that fell on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. In other words, they have a temporary fit over the word, over what they have heard. And these have no root, which for a while believe, which for a while believe, uh, and in time of temptation fall away. Now you might as well face up to it that every church wherein the gospel of Christ is truly preached, where the word of God is really expounded, there is going to be this attracting of some people who will rejoice for a season in what they hear. And then, because there is no root in them, they have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, they will grow weary of what they hear, or they will grow tired of the same teaching of the Word of God, and either seek after something new, or on the count of persecution, renounce altogether what they have heard and professed to believe in. There is a temporary faith. Now, you must understand, my dear friends, that a temporary faith does not mean that one was a true believer in Jesus Christ to the saving of his soul, and then ceased believing in Christ, and therefore lost his salvation, or, quote, fell from grace. There is no possibility of a child of God falling from grace. There is no possibility of a child of God losing his salvation. There is no possibility of a child of God being a temporary believer. However, there are those who will embrace for a while the doctrine, who will make a profession of faith, who will follow the teachings of the Word of God for a season only to prove that they were never the children of God to begin with. This is brought out, for example, in the book of 1 John, where he writes in chapter 2 of his first epistle and verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now certainly it is disappointing when men fall by the wayside. But it certainly should not be surprising. For the Apostle John, one of our Lord's own disciples, experienced in his own ministry those that followed for a season and then departed. Our Lord experienced this, where men followed him with great zeal only to turn upon him in the end to take part in his crucifixion. There is a temporary faith. On the other hand, there is a special faith which is peculiar to God's elect, a special faith that is saving in its nature, but is that which is given only to the elect. In section 1 of the Confession we read, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. Now, if you will turn to the book of 1 Peter, we will see how this is a persevering faith and then deal with it in uh, more detail as we proceed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 
In verse 9 we read, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. That only a child of God does. He receives the end of his faith, or the consummation of his faith, or that which faith is designed to accomplish, that is the salvation of his soul. In the second place, we may observe from the confession of faith that saving faith has an immediate relation to Christ for salvation in his person and work. In the latter part of section 2, I read with some emphasis, but the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Now what is this saving faith that has an immediate relationship to the Lord Jesus? that is, attaches itself to the Lord Jesus Christ directly without anything coming in between. Now, most religious movements today that claim to be Christian will try and interject something between the sinner and the Lord Jesus, such as baptism, or a church membership, or good works, or reform of some nature. But faith saving faith lays hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ directly, immediately, without anything coming in between. Of course, this saving faith is, first of all, believing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the second person of the triune Godhead, therefore the Son of God himself. Turn, please, to the book of Acts, where we have the record in chapter 8 of the conversion of the eunuch. In the conversion of the eunuch in chapter 8, through the preaching of Philip, we read these words beginning with verse 34. The eunuch having been reading the book of Isaiah, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, that is, he was reading Isaiah chapter 53, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He started right at the scripture where the eunuch was reading and he preached to him Jesus. He showed how this scripture was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We read, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, now you know Philip must have preached a great deal, public confession, believer's baptism, and so on. Because here the eunuch says, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest believest. Now watch what we have as an answer. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe. And so Philip took this as a confession of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and baptized the eunuch 
as a result. Now let's note what is required to constitute saving faith in Christ. We, not, we not, not only must begin with belief in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but there must be a knowledge of him as he is revealed in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul said in the Scripture we took as our text, I know whom I have believed. He did not say, I know in whom. He said, I know the person that I have believed. This means that Paul had a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of this knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he believed in him to the saving of his soul. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, this same truth is brought out. Romans chapter 10 in verse 14, where we read, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So it is absolutely foolish, ridiculous, unscriptural, and somewhat spiritually asinine to talk about having saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ apart from doctrinal knowledge. Now you may have doctrinal knowledge apart from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you cannot have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ apart from doctrinal knowledge. Faith is based upon knowledge, knowing who the Lord Jesus Christ is as he is revealed in God's holy word. This is brought out even further in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We read in John chapter 9 where our Lord had healed a blind man, and eventually the blind man with his eyes opened was returned to the Lord Jesus. We read beginning with verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, that is, cast him out of the synagogue. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. You cannot believe in an unknown Christ an unrevealed Christ. Now, men can believe in a God of their imagination. They can believe in a Jesus of their own devising. But you cannot believe savingly unless you know, first of all, who the Lord Jesus Christ is as set forth in the Bible. Not in the traditions and opinions of men, but as set forth in the Bible. You must know that he is very God of very God. And you must know not only who he is, but what he has done. That is, that he who is very God was born of a woman, that he became man, that he obeyed the law to establish the righteousness of it, that he went to the cross of Calvary and died as a substitute in the sinner's stead, and on the third day was raised again from the dead. You must know in the third place why he did that. If you don't know these things, you don't know the gospel. 
and you cannot have saving faith. You must know that he did this because man is a helpless, hopeless sinner who cannot live up to the demands of the law himself. Therefore, that only the Lord Jesus Christ could satisfy the demands of God's holy justice and righteousness to pay the sin debt that God might show mercy having punished sin in the person of his own son. But this is not the whole of saving faith, for it is possible to have knowledge of these things and not be saved. There must be in the second place an ascent unto Christ as Savior. Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, and am persuaded. In other words, there must be a persuasion in saving faith. That persuasion takes place in the affection. As a man knows Christ with his mind, he is persuaded in his affections that this which he knows is the truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. But unless saving faith reaches down to the will from the mind through the affections, man still is not saved. So in the third place, there is a committal to him for salvation. So Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. I am committed unto him. There is a confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ whereby one totally commits himself to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and to him alone. Now let us note further how faith is described in the Scripture. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not only based upon knowledge, giving consent to that which is known, leading to a total committal to the person of the Lord Jesus in confidence for salvation, but faith is described in a way in Scripture so that we might have a parallel uh, to draw for a better understanding of this activity of the soul. Faith is said to be seeing the Son of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, in verse 40 we read, The Lord Jesus says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Now, I don't describe for you uh, through some type of analysis what seeing is. I just tell you to open your eyes and look. Look at that. See that. So believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is to see him. Not to see him in a visible image, as some have claimed to have done, which is not so. It is to see Christ as he is set forth in the Scripture. It is to see him with the heart, with the mind. It is to see him in faith. In John 6, 35, faith is said to be a coming to Christ. We read, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. So faith is a movement or a motion of the soul, whereby a person comes to the Lord Jesus. In John 6, 37, 
we read, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All that the Father gives me in election shall come to me in faith, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Then we note that this faith, which is a coming to Christ, is a gift of God. Look at verse 44 of John chapter 6. He says there, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 45, it is written in the prophets, And they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Then in verse 65, he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. So this motion of the soul is a gift of God. What is it that makes the difference? Why is it that some men don't have faith? Why is it that other men do have faith? The difference is God's grace. In other words, God gives to some men faith, those of his own choosing, that they might come to Christ, and he just leaves other men alone. There's no unrighteousness in that because God doesn't owe faith to anybody. He could bypass everybody. He could have left us all in our unbelief, and we would have gone on doing what we wanted to do, and we would have received the judgment that was our due. But God, by giving us spiritual life, changes our want to and bestows upon us faith whereby we are desirous to know the Lord Jesus. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, I want you to see where this is brought out very, very plainly. Now, you read this scripture with the utmost care. The Lord Jesus had pointed out that he was the good shepherd, that he was going to lay down his life for his sheep, that all men did not belong to his sheep, and so on. As a result, some of the Jews became greatly offended over what he taught, and they rejected him and would not believe him. Our Lord then tells them why they would not believe. Look at verse 26. But ye believe not, because... Now, anybody reading plain English can know that our Lord is now saying that you do not believe, and this is the reason. You believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. In other words, the Lord Jesus is saying here that you've got to be a sheep in order to believe, that goats never will believe. Salvation is not changing goats into sheep. He says, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. You don't belong to me, and so you don't believe. Now look at verse 27. He says, on the other hand, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They believe. They know. They follow. Furthermore, we know that faith is described as the faith of God's elect. I want you to look at the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 1, where this faith is identified for us. In Titus, 
chapter 1, verse 1, we read, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to, underline it now, the faith of God's elect. The faith of God's elect. Now turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13, and I want you to underscore another scripture that's most of the time quoted in reverse. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 48, we read, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Now look at it. And as many as were ordained, that word, by the way, there is predestinate. As many as were ordained, as many as were predestinated to eternal life, did what? Believe. Now, most people turn that around and say, as many as believed were ordained eternal life. But that's not what the Apostle Paul said. He says, as many as were predestinated unto eternal life believed as a result. They were partakers of the faith that belongs to God's elect. Furthermore, we may note from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that this faith of God's elect belongs to those who have been born of God. In John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, you hear that verse quoted constantly, and a period is generally put there and nothing else to follow. But there's no period there. There is a colon, two dots. You know what a colon means? It means that now what is being said will be an explanation of what has already been said. Now, the Lord Jesus says, As many as believe on me, I give the authority to be called my son. Now he's going to tell how they believe. In verse 13, which were born, not of blood, they didn't inherit it from mother and daddy, nor of the will of the flesh, they didn't decide on their own, nor the will of man, they were not brought in by uh, the energy of men, but of God, were born of God. So those who are born of God believe, believe. This brings us to observe the next statement, and that is the causes of saving faith. In section 1 we read that the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls by the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. They are enabled to believe. Now that means that man of himself will not believe that man cannot believe. Christ said, you cannot come to me except you're drawn of my Father. That's the same as saying you cannot believe on me unless my Father gives you that faith. Now, there are three causes of faith. I want you to get them down. The efficient cause is God himself. Now, there are many scriptures, for example, John 6, 29. 
the Lord Jesus says, This is the work of God that you believe on his Son. This is God's work. In the book of Colossians, for example, we have in chapter 2 and verse 12 this statement, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Faith, which is the operation of God. So the efficient cause, the first cause, the effectual cause of faith is God himself. So in Ephesians chapter 2 we read in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith not of yourselves, it the faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In the second place, the moving cause of faith is the free grace of God. Why is it that God gives faith to some? It is not because he saw any difference in men. They are all sinners in his sight deserving to go to hell. It is not because he was influenced by any need that he had of men. God stands in need of nothing and no one. But faith is the fruit of election, and election is of the grace of God, so nothing moves God to give faith to his elect other than his own eternal purpose and will. Therefore, it is a sovereign act. Then in the third place, the efficient cause being God, the moving cause being God's free grace or unmerited favor, the instrumental cause is the ministry of the Word. In other words, God uses the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He uses the ministers of the Word of God in the preaching of the Word as instruments by which he imparts faith to those that are to be saved, whereby they come to Christ and receive him as their Savior. Limiting our time to only one scripture, Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 13, we read, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? So God gives faith, but he uses the foolishness of preaching, the ministry of men expounding his word as the instrument or the channel through which he bestows that faith saving to the soul upon his elect. And so we have not only what is set forth in the confession in summary, but a clear statement of the teachings of Holy Scripture on the subject of faith. All of the praise and the honor and the glory belongs to the Lord God himself, for it is he and he alone in his grace that has made you to differ from those who perish in unbelief.